This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, Episode 77. I'm your host, Derek Render King Fisk. This time I sit down with John Pica from the Diesel Punk Podcast to discuss the Grammy Awards, how great music sounds on vinyl, and New Year's holiday traditions. Thanks for listening. Grab your fedoras and your martinis and enjoy the show. As you already know, I'm Eric Reiner King Fisk here at the Fedora Chronicles Radio Show. And of course, my co host this week is John Pica. Say hello, John. Hey there, guys and gals. How y'all swinging? Exactly. Good question. Good. Hey, speaking of swinging, I was just, because the thing, this is our first show since the holidays, because we took the, the yes, holiday. Yes, it is. It's a holiday break. I wanted to ask you about your New Year's. What'd you do? I, you know, I really didn't do anything all that exciting. I, I stayed up. You know, eating Chinese and watching the Thin Man Marathon. Yeah, that's funny. Me too. That's exactly what my wife and I did. The exception is that we have them on DVD, and and we can yeah. pause them whenever we want. So um, the thing is, is that we 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 have this game here at home. How how many Thin Man movies can we get to until we actually pass out and go to bed? And we only made it to um, another Thin Man, the third movie in the series. <laughs> That's that's pretty funny. That is. That's pretty funny. It's kind of lame. Yeah, you know, I, I was I was you know thinking before we did this, and um, you know, unfortunately, I I got a new microphone and headset rig, and I'm trying to get it uh, up to speed here, and I didn't have time to set it up before tonight's recording. So next next show, uh, you're gonna love 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 what we're doing. But you know, as I was thinking about this show and getting ready for it. It occurred to me that we haven't spoken since before Christmas. Right. And it, it, and that seems like a lifetime ago. I mean, that was a year ago for crying out loud. It was last year. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's been a lot of stuff happen since that last podcast. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the biggest one for me, Eric, is I think we recorded on a Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night yeah. before Christmas. It was a Wednesday before and, Christmas. Yeah, and either Thursday or Friday after we did the show, I went and saw – oh, it was the Saturday. It was well, the Saturday. I went and saw The Greatest Showman. Yeah, you know what? I've been dying to ask you about that. And – it was, for me, a religious experience. It was, you know, I reviewed it on the podcast right after I saw it. I've, I've seen it twice now. Yeah. And I've memorized the entire score. I downloaded it, uh, you know, on Amazon and, and listened to the whole, I've listened to it nonstop. And it it is truly an anachronistic punk's dream yeah um you know it's it's basically historic fiction because there are a lot of liberties taken with with the story of pt barnum a a lot is is accurate it's just compressed a 25 year period is compressed into maybe a, a couple of years in the film but the the music is you know, contemporary Broadway style, but set in the late eighteen hundreds, kind of doing the the Hamilton thing, right? Right. But but uh, in my opinion, a hundred times better than Hamilton, and you know, for people who are into the, you know, the anachronistic stuff. Yeah, this movie is going to be right up your alley. So you've not seen it. No, as a matter of fact, whatever. Because um, with everything that has been going on here, 
um, at the uh, Fedora Chronicles headquarters, we are actually waiting for kind of like everything to die down because, well, I mean, as everybody knows, I was working um, at the uh, um, at the Red Hardware and Feed Store at the bottom of the hill, and I ended um, my my temporary job there because you know it's like I said, I would work there until Christmas. So I hadn't had the opportunity to do all the things that it's like I like to do. I barely squeaked in enough time to see The Last Jedi, and I didn't get to see it until two days after it opened. Can you imagine how pissed I was when that happened? So the thing is, is that my wife and I, we're kind of like on this mission to get all caught up on the movies that are out in the theater before they're no longer out in the theater anymore. Um, and you know what the thing is, is that she's picked up all the local newspapers and she's trying to um, uh, fulfill one of our, and we're going to end the show with talking about new year's resolutions and how they're going so far. Um, But the thing is that what we're doing is, is that um, uh, for one of our resolutions is that we're going to go to one or two concerts uh, a month as part of our new year's resolutions. Cause we, you know, we're switching gears in our life. The kids are older and we're able to go out and do more things now because oh, we don't have to get a sitter anymore. I mean, maybe we should, you know, (laughs) but the fire marshal said that, you know, when we got home, all we needed to do is just, you know, paint over those spots that the kids burned and nobody will notice the difference. So, um, no, but I, it's, it's on our list of things to, we might actually go and see it this weekend. Yeah, it was for me, the best movie of 2017. Yeah. Um, and for me, the best movie in the last 10 years. You know what? I'm surprised by that because I thought The Shape of Water was going to be the, the, the best movie of 2017. I, you know, I had high hopes for it. I, re- I really loved Shape of Water. Okay. And it is in my top, it is in my top five for this year. Right. Um, but um, it, it, and it was great. It was beautiful. I, I did a full review on the show. You guys can go back and listen to the whole right. thing. Um, it was a beautiful movie. It was one of the most well-acted films I've ever seen. Um, it was uh, it was magical. Yeah. And and it was it was great. Um, the only thing that keeps it from being the best movie of the year is that the story was very straightforward. You know, there were there were really no surprise twists and turns where you went. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Um, and I don't want to say it was predictable, but, you know, Guillermo del Toro, he is a great, fantastic director and creator. But one of the complaints people have about him is that he does like to use well-established tropes. Of course. And and for me, I don't think that's a problem. That's one of the reasons why... I absolutely loved and still love um, Pacific Rim. Yeah. Because it, it felt like a, a movie that I had seen before. It, it felt like a, a, a warm, familiar blanket. Yeah. And, and Shape of Water has a very similar kind of through line to it. Um, now, that having been said... It still won the Golden Globe for Best Director. Yeah. So, so one of ours has has achieved greatness in the Golden Globes, and I don't know if he's won Oscars or Golden Globes before. You know, I directors, I'm really not, not that uh, up on their, you know, the awards who who's won what. But um, you know, it was just great. To see one of our own, a diesel punk, yeah. take home, you know, one of the highest awards for his craft, and um, you know, it, it's it's nominated for several Oscars. Um, I was disappointed that Sally Hawkins, who plays the lead character of Eliza, didn't win Best Actress. But yeah. in fairness to everybody else, I hadn't seen the other films with the other actresses who were nominated and you remember i was i was railing on about how 
Darkest Hour and um, Shape of Water were not, and, and the, the disaster artists weren't around me. And, and I finally figured it out because the other movie that just came out this week here in Nashville is I, Tanya, which was also nominated for a Golden Globe. And I figured it out. The movies were just pushed out in limited release so yeah. that they could make the cutoff for the awards. That's exactly what they do every and, year. Yeah, so I hadn't figured that out. And and even now, Shape of Water is still in limited release here, uh, I guess, until the middle of this month. But, yeah. um, you know, Darkest Hour just came. Um, and uh, I, Tanya just came this week. So, um, and, and I haven't seen the post. So, yeah. And and to be quite honest with you, Eric, and and does this make me a horrible person? No, it doesn't. I, I, I'm really not interested in in the post. Okay. Well, you know. Well, I, here, let me let me just sort of put it to you this way, and why I'm dying to see the post, and I'm I probably have it. The post is probably to me, um, what um. The Greatest Showman is probably to you because um, I I wanted to be a journalist in the worst way. And I, I actually was a, a journalist and a news reporter for about a year or two in an upstate New York paper. And one of the things that it's like I really had a hard time dealing with was um, dealing with like accidents and deaths and being there on the scene, taking pictures and and doing interviews with people who are still mourning their lost ones. That was a part of the job I really could not, really couldn't handle. Um, but the thing is, is that um, All the President's Men was a huge inspiration for me. Um, it's a couple of notches below Raiders of the Lost Ark and Miller's Crossing and Casablanca, as far as being one of the most influential movies of my life. And the, the idea of newspaper newspaper reporters who get a story that fall on their lap and they do the job they do the work and they uncover something even more amazing than you could possibly imagine and they make they make history i think for me that's i i think that that's incredible but one of the reasons why i think the post is so interesting is that it's almost like it's a prequel to um all the president's men um the post talks about the Pentagon Papers, whereas like with the newspaper, with the newspaper had this classified information. What do you do with this classified information? Whereas it's it's state secrets, obviously, but it also proves without a shadow of a doubt the government is lying about something, whatever it is. The government's lying, and is it important for us as citizens to know that the government is lying about something that is costing? young American men to lose their lives by the thousands each year. Isn't that important? Don't you think that we ought to know that? And it's a, it's an ethical dilemma. I think for me, the frustration is that it's politicized or it's, it's partisan. Is it really a word? Am I going to make up a word right now? It's person. Oh, um, God help me, John. What, what's the word I'm, I'm trying to spit out here. It's, it's with partisanship. Um, partisanized is that even a word um, but I, th- I, th- I think it's I think it's an important story um, but if you're not into that you're not into that I don't think you should be forced to go see this but I can and I can understand why you you wouldn't want to see it yeah and I, you know what I might go see it um, it's just not really on my list um, and, and you know the funny thing is uh, the the two stars of that uh, Tom Hanks and and uh, uh, Meryl Streep. I, I don't know what it is. They're kind of in the same vein for me as uh, Robert Redford and Tom Cruise. Yeah. In that, I've never gone to see a movie because they were in it. Yes, exactly. Um, but every time I, everything I've seen in, I've enjoyed immensely. <laughs> um. And and those other stars are kind of like that, you know. I, I've never movie just because Tom Cruise is in it. Yeah. But every Tom Cruise movie I've ever seen, I've thought, wow, that was really good. Yeah. Has there ever been a bad Tom Cruise movie? 
Um, well, I don't know because there there are a lot of his. Well, yes, Top Gun. Yes. I, I didn't like Top Gun. All right. By the way, just I thought it was a two-hour MTV mu- music video. It was. It was in. It was a um, Navy Air Corps um, commercial recruitment film. recruitment film made by MTV. That, yes, that's how I felt. Did Did you watch the rest of the Golden Globes and and or have you seen any of the Golden Globes and what do you think? You know, I did not watch any of them. Um. And, you know, the thing is, Eric, the, the award shows are important, I believe. As, as a creative person, I, I believe it's very important that we recognize achievement. And, and as a capitalist, I think it's very important that we recognize achievement. The problem comes when... Hollywood is choosing to use these events as their political springboard. And I, I just, I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that. It's not that your political opinion doesn't matter, but that's not why I'm tuning in to see this show. I'm tuning in to see someone honored for excellence, not to hear your latest diatribe about Trump or Obama or Hillary or, you know, North Korea, South Korea, Russia, the dossier, Oprah Winfrey running in 2020. I, that, yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't care. And, and I don't need that. So I, I skipped the Golden Globes. I knew who was nominated. I knew who I wanted to win. Um, and... Um, you know, my pick for Best Actress, Sally Hawkins, did not win. And uh, in fairness to her, I've not seen the other actresses, but uh, she was so phenomenal. So ph- I've not seen a performance by an actress like that in a long time. Yeah. I, I can't re- remember a- another performance like that. Um, it was just, it was astounding. But, um, you know, the, the Academy Awards are coming up, and I, pro- I will probably watch the Academy. Uh, that tends to be a little less political. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think that for me, it gets right up there when you can tell that it's a popularity contest to a very large extent when you have a movie that, and I'll come out and say it, the original Star Wars movie in um, 1977 um, Oscar Awards 1978. Um, and I woke up the next morning and, and I found out that Star Wars did not win and it lost to Annie Hall. I've never seen Annie Hall. I refuse to see Annie Hall. I will never see Annie Hall. And the thing is, is that how could, really honestly, think about it. How could Annie Hall beat Star Wars for an Oscar? Well, for that matter, how can Annie Hall beat Rocky, which was also nominated that year? Really? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, somebody is probably going to look that up, and they'll probably report back to us. So a couple of years later... Well, maybe we should look it up. All right. <laughs> Rocky. Awesome. 1978 Academy. So... Oh, Bob Hope was the host. Oh, Rocky won the year Star Wars was released, 1977. Oh, okay. I got it. Okay. I got it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. All right. So, um. Oh, that makes me feel better. Because the thing is that it was like, um. I'm just looking at. I'm just looking at all of these other, um. Like, you know. So Sylvester Stallone was nominated for a Best Actor. Uh, wow, things have have changed. Sylvester Stallone won a um, Best Original Screenplay nomination. That's amazing. Um, but the thing, but well, go ahead. It was a phenomenal movie. Yeah, it really was. I mean, to this day, I can still watch it, and I'm I'm at the edge of my seat the entire time. So, 
Um, but I, I think that, I mean, for me, and I have seen Chariots of Fire, um, and I don't, I still, to this day, I do not understand how it beat Raiders of the Lost Ark for best picture. I, I don't, I don't understand. Um, it, uh, Chariots of Fire is the perfect um, cure for insomnia. Because <laughs> I've, I've never seen it all you the know, way that, through without nodding off. That is, that's funny because that is one of the first movies I like grown up movies that I remember going to the theater with my dad to yeah, see. Yeah. And he loved that movie. And, you know, that was like the, the, the feel good, you know, rah, rah movie of his lifetime, you know, yeah. it, for, it was, it was his, um, it was his Rudy. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I understand that. I, I completely, totally understand that. Um, but, but as a film, is it, is it, is it a better, so here, here comes the argument. Is it a better film than Raiders of the Lost Ark or or is it a better movie? Obviously Raiders of the Lost Ark is a better movie. Right. But as a as a piece of film is Raiders better? And I don't remember Chariots of Fire enough to know yeah. uh, to 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 compare it cuz I I saw it that one time in the theater. Mhm. Um, you know, the soundtrack from Vangelis. Is like ingrained in pop culture memory now. Yeah. Um, but that's all I remember. It was about a race at, I think, an Olympics. Yep. And the, 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 the guy, I, I don't even think he won, did he? He was like second place in the race, but... You know, he didn't compromise. Yeah. And, and he was still a champion. And But I, that's all I remember about it. And I remember the theme song. That, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, for me, talking about the best picture of 1981. And of course, I'm going to say Raiders of the Lost Ark. What are you, stupid? Um, but for me, it's the, be- it's the best movie Steven Spielberg ever made before Schindler's List. And the, and I think that for for Steven Spielberg, I think that there there's like um, before Schindler's List and after Schindler's List. Um, and I and I and I think that after Schindler's List, I think that a switch was thrown, and I don't think he could ever make another. I don't think he could ever make Raiders of the Lost Ark the same way again, ever. Um, and I think that one of the reasons why. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull wasn't as good as it should have been was because because he did like Schindler's List and uh, Saving Private Ryan and a whole bunch of other films that have actually won Oscars. Um, I don't I don't think he I don't I don't think he's the same actor uh, no same director anymore. I don't know I might be wrong, but um, I I can't I can't watch award shows of any kind anymore because they have to be politicized. You have to tell me your political agenda. You have to stand up in front of the entire world and have your acceptance speech, and you have to make it about the politics of what's going on, like now, today. And it was just like, and it's passe, and it it's it has a shelf life of only a couple of minutes. I re- I remember when Richard Gere gave his um, acceptance speech. I don't even remember what movie it was from, but he was he was must ta- have been an officer and a gentleman. You think so? You Richard think, Gere, I, I, yeah, but but I remember when he was talking about the Dalai Lama and, and and China occupying Nepal, and I thought that okay, okay, that's that's good, that's good because that's a relevant kind of thing, ending the war in Vietnam. Yep, yep, that's good, that's good, and all like that. But at some point, when does it become too much? Does it ever become too much? And has it come to the point where maybe I'm cynical and jaded, and I think that it was just like. The, the reason why these people win, not because they did a great, not because the movie was great, is because all of the friends who are voting are saying, I'm going to vote for him because I know he's going to give a killer acceptance speech and he's going to really stick it to the, the same politician that I dislike. I, I really think that sometimes. Well, there, there is some degree of that. So 
you know, my early career in Nashville, I, I worked as an A&R director for a pretty major record label. And the record label bought memberships voting. Uh, you can vote for the Grammys if you're an associate member. And so they bought associate memberships for all of their employees. Now, one of the requirements to to even be an associate is that you have to have at least one album credit. So guess guess what was sprinkled throughout all of the album credits <laughs> that were released that year? Oh, yes. <laughs> so... So I've got three legit album credits, and then I've got a bunch of bogus ones. Um, three legit because I actually designed the cover artwork. But, um, you know, uh, a lot of bogus uh, credits. And, and I was a voting member of the Grammys. And basically what they did was they, they passed out the ballot that was pre-filled with the choices that you were going to submit. And you, you filled out your name, your membership number, and you signed it. And that was all you did. Right. That's how the Grammys work. Yeah. I'm positive. There's similar. shenanigans at the Academy Awards. Okay. See, I, I mean, I'm convinced of it. I've always, whether it's the Grammys or the Emmys or the Oscars, I'm convinced that that has been going on for a very long time. And at some point, am I going to be complicit and watch these these award shows, knowing full well that they're rigged? And and the thing is, like, if I if I come out and say that, does that make does it make it seem a little more dirty? Or it's like if I if I admit that I know that they're rigged and I'm not watching them because I know they're rigged. Is that virtuous or is that virtue signaling? Which is it? That's a good question. I, I don't know that I have the answer. All right. So anyway, we wanted to talk about the other, um, uh, the, the, is it, is it, is it the new, um, is it the new flavor of diesel punk? You said that Larry has come up with a with a new genre. Yeah, did you read his uh, blog post uh, this week? I have I have not gotten to it yet. I it's seriously it's it's all right. I'm, so go ahead, give us a lowdown, and then send me the link. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, it's posted on our uh, Facebook page for the Diesel Punk Podcast, and uh, on his blog as well. Um, I'm bringing it up right now. Um, and you know he's been he's been and we'll you know when we have him back on the show when we do the roundtable we'll have him talk more about it but he's you know basically starting to break down these flavors of diesel punk and he, what he's calling the diesel punk uh, cookbook um, and you know his last blog post he he distilled. Autistian and Pycraftian and and basically agreed with you and I. That no. you know it was time to do away with those terms because, just like we've said, while Ottens and Pycraft, you know, were, you know, we owe them a debt for kind of starting the the ball rolling. What have you done for me lately? You know, they've not been a part of the community, but they did establish, you know, in the diesel punk world, this concept of dark and light. So you've got. What Larry now is just referring to as dystopian diesel punk yeah. and hopeful diesel punk, you know, leaving out the, the Pycraftian or the Autisian. Um, but now he wrote a new post and uh, a new blog. I would, I would recommend that everyone go read this. I'm not going to, you know, go through it point by point, but he he basically makes the case that there's a new flavor called buff. Okay, so he, he calls this new flavor gothic diesel punk. Okay. And, and it's 
some authors refer to as a dark allure. Yeah. Um, and it, it's the diesel, dark diesel punk that emphasizes the gothic or the macabre. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're vintage goths, but they, you know, have a flavor for diesel punk. Yeah. Um, and they, they favor film noir and, you know, movies like Nosferatu, Metropolis, The Golem, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, uh, the Bella Lugosi flicks. You know, it's interesting. The more that I'm reading about this, the more the more I think what I would have called hopeful diesel punk is actually overlaps with what he's calling gothic diesel punk. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, I, I'd be interested to hear from our listeners if they've read the post, what they think. Is it a uh, new genre? Is it, uh, is it a subgenre? Is it something that deserves its own classification? I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, I like the imagery that I'm seeing. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I looked at what, I mean, Larry is definitely on to something. And the thing is, is that somebody had said um, they don't like the direction that diesel punk is going. And my whole thing has been, no, diesel punk is not it isn't isn't like a bus or it's not like a it's not like a boat. You know, it's it's not a boat on the river. It's a rock in the river or it's a bridge across a river. It's supposed to be stationary. There are things that are not supposed to change. Uh, for diesel punk to be diesel punk, it has to continue on having the aesthetic of the 1930s and 40s era. Um, and it, I don't think that it really should change per se a lot. But there are times when there are there are certain different flavors to it. Like there's something going on within the diesel punk community that is sort of a fad or a trend. Um and I think I think that that's I think that he's on to a new trend that's 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 coming up. Meaning, I think that there is sort of like we're starting to see a more um, trend towards like the gothic. Like for the longest time, there was the trend in diesel punk that you know everything was action adventure, kind of um, uh, the Rocketeer and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then to an extent, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. And now we're starting to see a different kind of. Um, another kind of thing. Another thing that I've noticed here is what is there something else you need to say? Well, no, go ahead. What else have you noticed? Because one of the things that I've also noticed is that there's there's a, there's a new trend of a lot of other groups that are that are popping up and they're getting popularity like really fast. Where um, men our age and younger. Are going out and they're either buying authentic vintage or reproductions and they're wearing them every day and they're and they're and they're showing off and they're it's almost as if they're saying we're not taking a part of this this modernist thing anymore and that you know i, I that's exciting to me and i think that we're starting to see a trend and i and i hope that we can keep it going and i i hope it doesn't you know I hope it's not a fad. I hope it just becomes a subset of, of our culture. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. And, you know, reading through Larry's post and looking at some of the imagery, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, the in, in the last year and a half, um, we've had some pretty good examples in the media, mainstream media, in pop culture of this diesel punk and i would submit that um maybe fantastic beasts and where to find them yeah. leans that way um certainly the shape of water leans that way it's got a very gothic feel to it yeah um you know batman 1989 and dark city kind of have that gothic feeling to yeah. it but you know besides the films this year um you know, we've had Hellboy 1952 and Hellboy 1954, both series over this year. And those have definitely played to this gothic uh, aesthetic. Yeah. Um, uh, also in comics, we've had, you know, um, 
the uh, the uh, the series Moonshine, which was about you know prohibition, these Appalachian moonshiners who are fighting against the Chicago mob. Um, but the Appalachian moonshiners are werewolves. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's great. If you've not read it, dude, it, it's one of the best series I've ever read. Yeah, that's ex- and, and it's, so it's exciting stuff. Yeah, so Larry might be on to something here. I will I will tell you something else that there's another trend that I'm seeing in Dieselpunk is the popularity of the Marvelous Miss Maisel. Um, and, and please tell me that you've seen it so that I know that you've gotten a, a couple of good laughs recently. No, I haven't. All right. So, so Marvelous Miss Maisel. It is. Let me look this up. Yes. Get ready. Be, be prepared to fall in love all over again. Why why am I just now catching on to this? All right. So, Marvelous Miss Maisel. On Amazon. Yes. Huh. No, I haven't seen this at all. All right. All right. So, the thing is is that you are going to binge watch this this weekend if you have Amazon Prime. This is like one of those things where it's like I say, you absolutely have to get um, Amazon Prime for for this. Um, because the thing is, is that Rachel Brosnahan, I, I, I thought that she was phenomenal in the first, maybe, maybe the first two, definitely the first season of... Um, Oh, um, House of Cards. And she was also in this other drama called um, uh, Manhattan, which is a it was I think it was on WGN. It was sort of like their answer to um, Breaking Bad. But instead of cooking um, uh, meth out in the desert, they were cooking uh, the atomic bomb with the Manhattan Project. And she was one of the housewives who were stuck out in the middle of this camp in the middle of the of the desert, which would become later known as Los Alamos, um, and the thing is that it was like it was it was a it was a very dark family drama. And how do you maintain a household when you're living in in a in a, in a essentially a glorified tent out in the middle of the desert while your husbands are spending all day working on a bomb to obliterate you know small cities and you have to find ways to occupy yourself before you go crazy and all the consequences with that. It was one part breaking bad, one part sex in the city, one part, um, name a, name a dark family comedy. And it was, but it only, it only lasted one se- one season. And I thought that was, that was pretty bad. But the thing is, is that Rachel Brosnahan is one of those actresses where it was just like, like name a famous actress that is ubiquitous today. Um, like Julia Roberts. Do you remember like the first time you saw Julia Roberts in mystic pizza and you thought, Oh my God, she's amazing. And like, and you see her grow and develop into this other character or this other character actress who goes on to do these amazing things. And you're, and you have this pride of saying, Hey, I saw her for the first time in this, in this little movie is you get that feeling when you're watching Rachel Brosnahan. You're witnessing the beginning of some somebody new that's going to be a big name someday, a household name. And her entire series is a, about a female comedian in the 1950s, in the early 1950s or in the early 1960s. I'm not really sure which. But the thing is, she's trying to break it into the world of, of comedy, which is a male-dominated f- field. And the thing is, is that... Uh, in the beginning, it was all about her husband being a com- comedian. But when he leaves her for his secretary, for his, uh, his day job, she just goes into a club and she just does the stand-up act just off the cup. And it's hysterical. But the thing is, is that because she's a woman doing comedy on a stage without a vaudeville license, I didn't know you needed one of those. She was arrested. I think there's some also some indecent exposure in there as well. But we'll, we'll cover up that. It talks about a woman's struggle. 
about trying to get ahead in, in a man's world in a man male dominated field and and she but the the thing that i think you're going to love about this show where it talks about the the war of art whereas how do you get your ideas where do you get your ideas do you mine your own personal life and your own personal suffering do you make observations about the world around you and you see funny things the things that are funny like, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld did when it talks about how how the word left because he's left handed. He noticed that the word left is somehow a pejorative. And it was you mine everyday life for things that are funny. Do you do clean humor? Do you do dirty humor? Do you do a mixture of the two? Do you read your audiences and you realize, oh, they want to hear more of this? I think that as an artist of any kind, whether it's whether it's you and, and what you do with Tales from the Flip Side and 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 big daddy cool or is it with me with the fedora chronicles and and the podcasts that i do how do you how do you do it how do you go about it and the thing is it's it's a it's a great it's a great it's a great period piece it's beautifully well filmed it looks like it's it's not like those other period dramas where it looks like they went to all the antique stores and all the secondhand shops and everything like looks Obviously, it looks old and it doesn't because the thing is, is that a fedora that was that was uh, bought in 1956 in the year 1956, it should look brand new, shouldn't it? It just looks so clean and fresh and it doesn't it doesn't and it doesn't have that born on date on it like a lot of period films do or period pieces. It's beautifully well filmed and it talks about the nature of artists and why we do what we do. I don't know why you haven't seen it yet. I I hadn't heard about it, so you're turning me on to something new. There you go. So I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. So what next on our agenda is what well, else? Uh-huh. before we get to your your last piece, I gotta ask you. What kind of loot did you get for Christmas? Uh, you know what? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I it was not all. It was. Um, I, I just got clothes, man. I just got a couple of clothes items, and I got a couple of toiletry items. Um, well, sometimes that's all it takes. That's all I wanted, pal. Um, I got. Uh, uh, I got a bottle of Glen Levitt from my beautiful wife um, because she knows how much I love scotch. And it was it was it was low key for me. It was all about the big ticket items for the kiddos. Um, yeah. Well. And you? What I, uh, I I did. I, I got I got some pretty good swag. Um, and you know every year, um, I I, I invest in uh, some family board games, and. Uh, I backed a Kickstarter game for Scrooge the board game. Um, <laughs> that's, and, that's and it great. came just in time for Christmas Eve. And um, mixed reactions from the family on it. But uh, the one thing that the creators did and did brilliantly is that, you know, they didn't make, they didn't actually make it Christmas themed. Um, it It's themed around the pursuit of, you know, money and and redemption, and it uses all, all of the different characters from Dickens' novels, not just the Christmas Carol, which I thought was brilliant because you you can play it year round. It's it's not tied to Christmas, but um, I got you know a brand new pair of Chucks, Chuck Taylors. So now I've got two diesel yeah. punk style uh, diesel era tennis shoes. Um, I got. The best gift that I got was a brand new retro-styled Crosley record player. There you go. Mm-hmm. And that's what you the wanted. First record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've always, uh, yeah, I've always wanted one. And the first record I went out and I got was Ella Fitzgerald, live from Berlin early 1950s and I gotta tell you there's no better way to listen to music especially jazz than on vinyl really yeah there is a warmth 
to the tone that you don't get in digital. There, it's you know, it's kind of hard to explain to, to someone, but when you listen to the same thing digitally versus the analog on vinyl, there's this this deeper, richer texture to, to it that is just um, it's really satisfying. I mean, it's just satisfying to put a, a vinyl disc, yeah, uh, uh, you know, to lay the wax down and put that needle on and just kick back with your favorite beverage, you know, dim the lights and just escape. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, but there's something about the tactile nature of that, of, you know, taking the record out of the sleeve. Yes. Yes. Putting it down on the turntable and, and putting the arm on the, on the grooves and, and flipping the, the, the record uh, case over the, the cover over and, and sitting down with that big piece of artwork. And I don't know, there's just something special about that, that, you know, we lost when CDs became very popular. And I remember, I remember an interview on, I want to say VH1 or MTV, one of those video channels with Tom Petty. Tom Petty was lamenting that, saying, look, a record is a work of art, a record cover, the the album sleeve, the booklet. It's artwork that you could hold and touch and look and, you know, cherish. What do you get with a CD? Uh, a five by five little booklet, little postage stamp compared comparatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I remember him saying that, and that really stuck with me. I mean, I was on board with CDs. I was I was all in. Yes. But that has always stuck with me. That interview from Tom Petty, and he's absolutely right. Yeah. You know, I look at these album covers and they are, you know, works of art. They had to and, be. Um, they had to be. I'm yeah. Because lo- uh, um, here's a secret to you, for you. Um, mm-hmm. I have, because um, I, I don't I don't have a record player, um, but I but I still have the vinyl records that I collected over 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 the years in my youth. And hanging on my wall, I have what I consider the two best soundtrack albums of all time um, framed and hanging on my wall right now. Raiders of the Lost Ark with John Williams um, and The Sting, um, uh, original music written by Scott Joplin and reperformed by um, Marvin Handish, I think. uh, Handish? Hamlish. Hamlish. Um, it, because I can't, I really can't read the word from here. And the thing is, is that, I mean, but the thing is that they're hanging on my wall because they're works of art and I, and there are some yeah. albums that I could never throw away because the albums themselves are just works of art and all those people who threw out all that vinyl because we're all going digital. I wonder how many of them have that kind of regret or remote of remorse. There was something about albums that was just so special. It was a thing, and it was just like if you. I I still have some of the ones that I got for uh, for birthdays from ages ago. I still have all the albums I ever bought, or were given to me. I have in in our basement, or the two of them that are hanging on the wall. And I might hang up more. Who knows? But I well, th- I think that's such a thing. Here, here's here, here's the great thing about that is vinyl has made a huge comeback, and when when you walk into Barnes and Noble. Their, their vinyl section is three times bigger yeah. than the CD section. Yeah. And and it's just, it, it's, it really thrills my heart. The next record on my list, I'm probably going to pick it up this weekend, is, um, you know, maybe he's another one of us, um, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Who is a phenomenal jazz big band singer. Yeah. And... You know, he's got a, a great four disc, a four platter set, you know, out that just came out this year. And, uh, you know, that's that's next on my to buy list. Yeah. But um, 
if if you want to listen to some really fantastic music, Ella Fitzgerald, live in Berlin, this is where she does this awesome version of Mac the Knife and completely butchers it and rewrites the lyrics on the spot because she can't remember the real lyrics. Right. And, and it was one of these wonderful disasters. Yep. It was an absolute train wreck that ended very well for everybody. Um, she does that, that, that legendary performance of, how high the moon? Yep. Where she just goes on this scat riff that seems to have no rhyme or reason, and then all of a sudden she's back into how high the moon. Yep. And and it's one of those breathtaking moments in musical history that that you've just got to hear to believe. And and so that uh, that's uh, how I spent uh, my Christmas vacation. Yeah. And then. On the very tail end, you know, ShadowCon punctuated it for me, and I picked up um, Temple Run, the board game. That's, so that's great. Have you, you, you you've played Temple Run on iOS on sure. your phone or sure? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's basically Pitfall or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, for iOS, well, they they did a board game version of it. And it's got an electronic temple idol. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's like playing Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited about it. So, yeah, so that was good. And, uh, of course, saw Daisy at uh, ShadowCon. Yeah, we performed how she- together. We paneled together. She's doing great. She looks great. She sounds great. The, the Everybody loved her. Um, we had a great time. And you can listen to our full review on last week's episode. We broadcast live from there uh, on Saturday of last week. It was it was it was phenomenal. So so yeah, that kind of catches everyone up. And um, that's that's what's going on since Christmas. Yeah. I think that because I wanted I wanted to do this as long as I possibly could. Um, I wanted to actually, you know, talk about because I I wanted to talk about New Year's resolutions. And this is one of the I said this is going to be the year that I'm not going to forget about my New Year's resolution. Um, I'm just I'm going to keep just um, just going. Th- I'm just going to keep going at it. I'm going to just keep working on all of my New Year's resolutions. And, um, so one of the things is like, I wanted to do is I just, I didn't want to forget. I don't want to forget my, you know, and I don't, I don't want to, and if I do forget, if I do have a moment, momentary lapse, um, pick it up again, like, just like, okay, I had a lapse. I don't want to just like, oh, it's, it's January 11th and well, forget about it. that didn't work out too well. And I didn't want my new year's resolutions to only be a to-do list for the two weeks of, of the year. Um, one of the things I thought I would do as a new year's resolution is spend the first hour of the morning, just listening to music, no social media, no news, nothing. Just, just listen to music, just tune out from the rest of the world. And I think that, you know, having that time, that's my time. That's my family's time. That's time with me and my wife. That's really worked out a lot. One of the great investments and they're not a sponsor of the show. I'm not saying this because I have to, but the thing is that it was just like, we got a Pandora subscription. And um, been listening to a lot of things that I never thought that I would actually catch myself listening to. Um, and the thing is, is that they have a couple of jazz stations in there. Like you were talking about jazz earlier. And I'm thinking to myself, what a great way to introduce yourself to jazz. What, what a great way, you know? Um, yeah. And you, can, you listen to things that you will never, you, you, you've never heard of before or you're hearing it again for the first time. Um, it's awesome. It's great. Go for it. Listen, you know, and and the thing is, like, if you can do it, if you can get away with it, save yourself the anger and the misery. Don't set. Don't start your day like crap. By whoa, my God, what's what's going in the news first thing in the morning? Like I used to. Just turn on the Pandora. Listen to a genre of music that you're not used to. You know, boldly go where no listener has gone before, and you know. 
try it out. See how it has. I'm also getting into electro jazz, which is taking old old music and and using it as background uh, for sort of like electronica music. I don't know how how else to explain it. You probably have a better idea, um, idea of how to explain well, it. Well, that, that that's exactly what it is. Electro swing, which is you know uniquely a product of the diesel punk movement. Um, is very similar, electro jazz, electro swing. It's taking those classic vintage uh, songs and using them as the as the bed f- and and then overlaying um, electronica or club beats or you know electronic music and riffs on top of it. So you get this fusion of the the vintage, the the art culture style, of the diesel era with contemporary or futuristic styling. And that is really, Eric, that that's kind of the, the essence of what diesel punk is. It's reflected in that electro swing, that electro jazz, um, style. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, you speaking of music, um, I, I had I had put this out as kind of an idea to talk about as well. Um, we don't talk about it a lot on the show, and we probably should. And, and it was asked of me, um, you know, by another podcaster. Um, I was on the uh, Story Punks podcast, and you know, she she asked me what what was it that made music so important. To diesel punks. Oh, great, and I great really question. Had, great question. Yeah, and I hadn't really thought about it until she asked it. But when you when you do think about it, music is such an integral part of the historic era of the jazz age of prohibition of World War II. Music really defined the culture yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, and. You know, I think we forget that a lot. We really and so do. Your, yeah. your suggestion to start the day with music is kind of ties right into that diesel punk root. Yeah. I because I, the thing is is that I've discovered um, a lot of artists, and I'm going to start posting these a lot more on the diesel punk. Uh, um, uh, Facebook group you, and you can find us by going to your Facebook groups and just do a search for diesel punks and there we are and we also can will help you connect to a lot of other diesel punk groups including the Fedora Chronicles that I think are important out there um, I, I think that we I think we got all the major ones don't we Johnny we got all the I think we got all the other diesel punk groups out there but the thing is is that I'm going to be posting um, links to new artists as I find them and I want to encourage everybody to do the same thing. Like, which essential diesel punk group? Like, um, uh, Scott Bradley in the Postmodern Jukebox. That's one of those. That that's real diesel punk music right there. That's that's yeah, absolutely. And there's a few others like that. Like Janet Klein is another great one. Um, I think she. I think she is fantastic. Um, who am I missing? There's so. I mean, geez, that's only two. But the thing is, is like, well, I, and there's a lot, there's a lot out there. And, and, you know, the guys that are still producing music, uh, big, bad voodoo daddy, they just had a brand new record come out. Yeah. Um, and I haven't heard it yet because I'm resisting the urge to just buy it on, on digital download. I, I've been burned on that in the past. So I've been looking for it in hard form, either CD or vinyl and, doggone it if i can't find the blasted thing so um but you know they've got a new record out and um uh, i'm thinking of um uh, oh what is what is her name um golly i fell in love with her it's gonna drive me crazy i'm gonna look it up right now um it's gonna jump out at me any minute i'm gonna see it maybe I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She did a great Electro Swing Christmas album. What is her name? You're killing me here. I feel so bad. 
I know, I know. And as soon as I say it, you're going to go, oh, yes, I love her. What? Nora Jones? Mm. Nora Jones is another one who did a great album, her first album, Come Away With Me. That's another... I love Nora Jones. Another essential essential diesel punk um, um, uh, musical performer. Um, I I think that Come Away With Me should be in everybody's collection. I think that Natalie Cole's Unforgettable is another great diesel punk style album that I think should be in everybody's... um, everybody's heavy rotation and the thing is that the more you think about it the more that you come up with names of artists and stuff like that who are very diesel punk and i think that um i i think that our society has reached an epiphany where it's like you know you know maybe maybe the good old days were really all that good and and a lot of people are just clamoring for that and it was just like every time you turn around you just like you think i think maybe diesel punk is sort of starting to 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 uh to wane a little bit somebody comes out with something else and revolutionizes it all over again and gives us retro futurism from another perspective or the jazz era aesthetic from another perspective and because the thing is somebody had asked me this well you're looking that up john somebody had said that said to, to me one of the things that they did not like about diesel punk is because the whole thing is is that for for you to be a diesel punk you have to you have to look like the Borg as, as if they were built in the 1930s or 40s and I don't know where they came up with that I I don't understand that I don't understand that sort of like what makes you think that and everything has to be um um 1930s and 40s sci-fi to be diesel punk I don't understand that and maybe I'm missing out on something um and the thing is, is that that aesthetic is kind of cool, but it's just not our thing. Have you found that yet, John? I'm running out of air here. No, no, I haven't. I uh, it's going to drive me crazy, and and I'll find it like I'll, I'll think of it late tonight in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., and I'll go, ah, yes, of course. And then what you'll do is that you will you will Skype me, and then we'll tag just just tag her <laughs> name at the end of the show. As like a like an like an Easter egg um, ending credit, something like that. So um, it could happen. It could. So so um, one last thing, and I wanted to ask you about this because the thing is, is that here's another discovery that I made when I was working at uh, the um, the Big Red um, food, um, Feed and Hardware Store. I encountered this magazine that I thought was amazing. And it's 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 like GQ for people who are into Western wear. It's called Cowboys and Indians. And I looked at it, and the thing is, is that it has a very Western steampunk vibe to it, of all things. Does Dieselpunk have anything like that? Um, <clears throat> in what regards? Like a like a magazine. Or? Yeah, like a like a magazine. Because the thing is, is that this is like the, like um, the Western cowboy version of GQ. And I was, and the thing is, is that I was flipping through it. A lot of this I thought was very reminiscent of steam Western steampunk or cowboy diesel punk steampunk rather. And and the thing is that it was like it does have that sort of that vibe to it. But the thing is, is that, and I was thinking, does Diesel Punk have its own version of GQ? Like, is there is there a Gentleman's Quarterly magazine for Diesel Punk? Hmm. I don't think there is. And I thought to myself, maybe that's maybe that's the direction of the website where we should go with this. This is I think that that's 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 a direction that I should take in in 2018. And then all of a sudden, it's just like, like the heavens parted. I was, it was like a hallelujah moment. But I think, I think that, I think that that's, that's an exciting direction for take uh, the upcoming year. So anyway, John, did you figure out her name yet? Or are you going to tell me later? No, it's going to have to wait till later. All right. All right. So what are your closing thoughts for, for, for tonight before we wrap it up? And, And I, and I throw everybody back into bed. Well, you know, I think uh, I think 2018 is going to be a phenomenal year. I, I feel really hopeful. 
about a lot of personal projects going on. And I, I have this feeling that if I'm excited about 2018, I've got a lot of projects happening that probably a lot of my creative friends do too. And that uh, it will probably be a pretty productive year. I'm excited what uh, what we might see in the world of diesel punk. Yeah. I th- I think that like I had said that it's um there's a there's a new enthusiasm I feel like that that's out there that I've never I haven't felt before with with our with our community. I've not felt this energy before and I think it's a great thing. And I by the way, one more thing before I call it a night. Uh Larry Emmett's blog is dieselpunk44.blogspot.com. Um, definitely read his. It's a short little ditty about uh, um, diesel punk, gothic diesel punk. It's diesel punk, a new co- a, a new cookbook part two, gothic di- uh, diesel punk. Um, yeah, I and I think it's I think it's an amazing. I think it's incredible. Give it a read. A lot of Larry is very succinct in what he says, um, but I, it's 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 a, it's worth a, a good couple of minutes. So, John. Um, why don't we say goodnight? Well, why don't we? It has been a blast hanging with you again and uh, looking forward to some great stuff in 2018. And on behalf of myself and Eric Fisk, the Diesel Punk Podcast and the Fedora Chronicles, I'll just tell all you guys and gals to swing hard and swing off, and we'll catch you on the flip side. This has been the Fedora Chronicles radio show and a co-production of the Diesel Punk Podcast. You can find out more about us by going to our websites, thefedorachronicles.com and dieselpunks.com. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You can find these links on our homepages. Be sure to visit our sponsors, Chester Cordite, Landron Artifacts, and the Trinity Whip Company. Also, check out the friends of our show, Penman Hats and Reconstructing History. Once again, this is Eric Render King Fisk signing off, and keep your chins up and your fedoras on. figure out the name of that artist who sang that Christmas song that you were all uh, um. I, have, I have no idea and she has several other albums out and I cannot find any of the stuff that I downloaded on her I can't find the links that got posted it's a mystery uh, alright well, well we'll keep looking for that <laughs> <laughs>